Welcome to Living a Maintenance Life. I'm the host and creator, Carlos Damien, a.k.a. Los AFFA. This podcast is about our Shogun Warriors. It's about their stories, their perspectives, and insight into their lives. My hopes for this podcast is to have conversations with different maintenance pros from across our group in order to learn each other better. Over my career, I've served as a maintenance pro, MTI, and first sergeant. I've met amazing people from across the globe, but right here and now, I get the privilege to serve with 2,400 maintenance professionals. Here are some of our conversations. Well, welcome to Living a Maintenance Life. Uh, I got a, an amazing guest here. I get to sit in meetings with him on a day-to-day basis. Uh, a very interesting story. One of the things is he's coming from the enlisted side to the officer side. So I wanted to make sure that I highlighted that uh, on this podcast for some of those up and coming uh, young maintenance professionals who do want to transfer over from being a, uh, enlisted to an officer. So without further ado, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, so uh, Tyler Gibson, uh, I'm the EMS operations officer. And uh, yeah, did 10 years prior enlisted. I uh, was an F-16 avionics troop, pushing the flight line for 10 years. Uh, some of the greatest times in my life. And then, uh, you know, went through the, the struggle that is putting a package together and, and, you know, meeting boards. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to get picked up and cross over. And, I mean, and the rest is history, you know. So you were maintenance prior, and then you come back to maintenance. But you stepped away from maintenance for a while as well, right? Yeah, I did. Um, so actually, when I got picked up to commission, uh, I was actually on the uh, the UAV track, right? And uh, just the flying didn't work out for me, right? It was it was it was tough not having previous flying experience. Uh, but it was good because you know I got to come back into to the maintenance world, and that was one of the best thing that could have ever happened. But yeah, my second officer assignment, I uh, got to be an OTS instructor, and. I would say that has probably been the single most rewarding assignment I've ever had. Uh, you know, got a chance to to see these young young kids, right? Young kids and professionals too, right? Because I was able to uh, not just teach and train your fresh, you know, out of ROTC lieutenants, right? But our medical professionals, our JAGs, our chaplains. And that is a whole nother beast, right? Oh, yeah. You know, to take people who are professionals and who actually have life experience and try and then, you know, help mold them into this this military image and that was like I said probably one of the most rewarding things ever um, got to work with a lot of CGOs as well right a lot of fellow instructors uh, you know in maintenance we just have a very small peer field if you will right it's just not a lot of us running around from base to base absolutely uh, we're definitely greatly outnumbered whereas you know in that assignment it was it was flipped it was the opposite and so it was just really good to see a lot of perspectives from people at different career fields and, and that really helped out a lot oh that's awesome hey what's your hometown uh, eclectic Alabama. Yeah. Little, little town. I think they might have a stoplight now. You know, it's one of those like one horse towns. Yeah. It's real small graduating class of like 60 something real tiny moved around a couple of times while we were there before, uh, before joining up. How has that influenced, uh, some of your leadership styles now and some of the decision-making as you enter the air force? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Um, I actually had about four jobs before I joined. I joined at 19, right? But I was working like four jobs at once. It's just one of those things where I couldn't get enough. You know what I mean? I couldn't get enough to to support myself through school, to, to live a life, to do all these things. Uh, and so I worked at Subway, right? Certified sandwich artist, not bragging, right? Make a pretty <laughs> pretty mean sandwich. Um, ask my kids. Uh, you know, I worked at UPS. I worked in a movie store. I even did some telemarketing once. Uh, that was 
That was the worst. That was the toughest job I've ever had in my life, right? <laughs> um, but it just wasn't working, you know, like that that many jobs and, and the schedule, it wasn't conducive, couldn't really do school. And so really wanted to, to join up there. And, and, and I guess, you know, it comes from, comes from family a lot sometimes, right? You get to, my mom was a really hard worker, often worked a couple of jobs, right, to keep us going. And, and, and so I just kind of took that from her. And, and then once I got into the military, you know, it just, it, it expanded from there. It depends on the people you meet, right? And they influence you in ways that you've never thought of before. Oh, that's awesome. Do you have a favorite quote or a favorite song or a movie? And if so, why? Yeah, so I've definitely been prepping, right? I've been catching all the podcasts, so got me the cheat codes, if you will, to okay. uh, to do this. But <laughs> That's fair. No, yeah. Um, there's a guy called Reed Markham. He's on the International Olympic Committee uh, for like public relations. And one quote he always said was, a successful leader recognizes the opportunities in every difficulty rather than the difficulties in every opportunity. And so that always stuck with me because coming up as a youngin, and I say a youngin, right, a young airman, um, and even as a young lieutenant, really, right, I'd be the first person to get super defensive when somebody said, yo, I got this opportunity for you. All I hear is, you got more work for me, right? That's it. Yeah. Right? And, but what really, what I've learned over time is what I was really saying to myself was, you might fail. This might be really tough. And so I'm going to naturally just be defensive and push back on it. And so it's taken time, right? Um, and, I, and I still from time to time get that way. But I think I've kind of just learned to critically think about that and say, you know, this might actually be a good opportunity, right? And it might not just be about me either. So there might be a reason that somebody is asking me to do something. That's a great perspective. Yeah, it took a long time to get it. That's for sure. You've been doing this maintenance thing for quite some time. You met some influential maintainers. Uh, can you highlight some of the most influential maintainers or a specific influential maintainer that you've met? Coincidentally, I hit 19 years the other day, right? So I'm like right in that window where a little power here. But uh, I think back to uh, to my best friend. We came in the Air Force around the same time. We were dorm mates together at our first assignment and then started kind of following each other through the next couple of assignments, different units and whatnot. And eventually this guy became my supervisor. But most influential probably was him. There was a I think I was a young maintainer like any other. We always try and, and find maybe some shortcuts every once in a while. Not violating stuff, but you just, you're really trying to get it done. You're hustling out there, right? And he was the guy who kind of taught me to slow down. These TOs exist for a reason, right? There's certain procedures in there. And just because you want to get it done quick, it doesn't, you know, stop you from from following that, right? And then once, once I just kind of really respected him for that, right? Like his integrity was above reproach, right? So when he said something, I said, well, you know, man, you must be saying this for a reason, right? So, so I kind of started following that in those footsteps. And and it was amazing to see once I did that and I put that into everything I did, just always always trying to do the right thing every single time, which which is challenging. It really made a huge impact in my life. He actually commissioned, you know, a couple of years after me and and he's out doing something too in the in the officer world. So So what do you think makes a good maintainer of in your nineteen years of experience? What what does a good maintainer look like? Good maintainer's not afraid to get dirty. Not to say that because every shop, every you know, career field doesn't get dirty in the same sense. So I don't mean like going out there and actually getting hydraulic fluid all over you. Although that, you know, that can help. It's part the, of it. It yeah. can help the image for sure. But yeah, they're just, they're not afraid to, to be in it. They're the first ones to jump off a truck for a red ball, whether they know what's going on or not. They just, they want to be in it because they care about the mission uh, and they want to learn, they want to grow, right? And so that's, that's what I think of when I think of a maintain. Somebody who is faced with obstacles and challenges that many other career fields may not have to experience, right? Certainly they have their own, but maintenance is maintenance, right? It's a whole different world. It's a different ball of wax. And we all, we take pride in that. That's, that's the maintainer's maintainer to me. So you've seen a lot of these different things and um, from the officer analyst side, what do you value most in a peer, a subordinate, 
or a supervisor. So in a peer, openness, especially in the uh, in the maintenance officer community, we've got to be able to be open with each other and let each other know when something's not working right. As far as a supervisor, I just need space to operate. Now, you know, like coming up as a young airman, maybe there's different, right? I'm learning, I'm growing, I, I could use a little more um, oversight, a little more checks and balances just to make sure that I was, you know, vectored in the right spot. But as I kind of get into this level now, I just need space to operate. A little rudder kick every once in a while, right, just to make sure that I'm not swaying way off to the end. But, uh, yeah, man, you just just give give your people the room to operate, and you'll be amazed at the things that they'll go accomplish on your behalf. Absolutely. I love that. As far as a leader goes, I think patience. We talk about the, you know, the dichotomy of leaders and followers, right? That patience to, to let people grow on their own because not everybody's going to get it the same way you did. Sometimes I rapidly absorb information. That doesn't mean those around me are doing it the same way, right? And you've got to be patient with people, let them grow, let them kind of come on board with it. If you let them do that, you'd be surprised at how much they'll, you know, exceed your expectations. So the most existential question is uh, what makes you you? Who are you? My family and friends, I think one, make me right. Like my mom, uh, my wife, my kids, every day, you know, every move, every everything we go through that continues to shape me. But I also think maybe our experiences, right? Because the person that I was prior to joining is, is not the person I am today. Um, I would actually say I'm a completely different person. Uh, and just you grow through those experiences, right? You experience hardships. You experience successes. You experience all types of things, right? And, uh, and and that shaped me as a person really through the eyes of others, right? Getting to see what they've kind of experienced. And it's, it's been quite a ride. So in that, you speak about your family, how they supported you, like uh, your immediate family now, and then maybe the family back home. How did they support you throughout your 19 years? Yeah, so uh, uh, my mom has been obviously one of my biggest supporters, right? No matter what I've wanted to do, he's always been down. Um, and, and so I can always rely on her, um, talking to her a lot, right? Especially in the situation we've got right now, right? Trying to video chat and trying to just constantly maintain that relationship. And she's been so supportive of everything we've done. Uh, and then, you know, my wife and my kids have been super, super um, influential, I think, in that. So, my wife is she's down for for everything right like she is down for this military life and 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 she loves it and uh i, I couldn't do what i'm doing without her right you know you work some 12 hour days some exercises tdy's deployments you name it right if i didn't have that support network there's no way i would achieve what i've achieved right there's no way it's not a one person show uh and so that's every day i lean on her uh, extremely hard. So big shout out to my wife. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. So with this 19 years, mm. there's some things I'm sure that you, uh, you have opinions on that you like, uh, things that you probably dislike. And if you were given the magic bullet, you were given a magic wand, what would you change? It's a rapid fire one, one in one. If I was given a magic bullet change, uh, so I'll go with something that's more recently um, starting to kind of occur, and it's, it's I think it's spreading rapidly. But I would I would implement it almost instantly across the entire the Air Force. But uh, you guys are familiar with the Airmen for Life program, right? Started out at Aviano, and it's it's kind of spread to a couple other bases. We've got a couple of units here doing it, but something like that, right? Like a legitimately Airmen focused program, not just for maintainers, but you know for all the other crew fields that get some hard work in, right? You get your CE, your security forces, like all those maintainers who feel like 
they just get grinded day in and day out, like a mandatory program that no kidding sets aside time for them during during the work week, right? Like during the duty day that says, hey, we want to invest in you. We want to, you know, make this commitment to you and the mission will still happen, right? We're going to take care of you. I would, I would snap and have that happen across every single unit in the Air Force right now. Explain what, uh, to elaborate on that, uh, because we never talk about that. You are a, like I said, you're a former enlisted personnel. You know what it feels like to be on the grind. You mm-hmm. know what it feels like. And I'm not saying that the officers don't feel that as yeah. well. They, 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 a lot of lieutenants got to uh, deal with quite a bit that people behind the scenes just don't know. But I'd like for you to elaborate on the Airmen for Life of how you're implementing it over there in the Equipment Maintenance Squadron. Yeah, so you so you mentioned kind of growing up as a as a young airman, right, pushing the flight line, and, and it could apply to a number of AFSCs. But yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember, you know, six day a week, twelves for weeks on end, and sometimes you didn't even get that seventh day, right? So you just ran fourteen, fifteen straight days, TDYs. It just it just bundles up, right? And and it didn't seem like in those situations that you had leadership that was willing to to care that much, right? Um, and so being in a position that I'm in now, right, and and seeing what other leaders are doing, you know, I kind of thought, hey, this is an opportunity. So uh, what the Airmen for Life program is here, uh, and again, so it's kind of a piggyback off of what Avion did, so I definitely want to give a lot of credit out there because they're the ones who started it. Major Chris Clark was the squad commander out there, and those are the ones who really inspired us to kind of take it here. So yeah, absolutely. So laid, laid a lot of the groundwork, so I don't want to forget where we came from. But um, essentially it's a program where we take a certain percentage of our squadron and, and we divide it up across the month so that at least once a month on a Friday, every airman gets what we call the Airman for Life Day. So there's some PT time in there, right? There's some time to work out because we know we don't often get that. Uh, and even something that small, I think, can make a difference. There's small group discussion, right? We change our lessons up. We talk about things like generational gaps or conflict resolution and, and these things that are skill sets that we may not we may not really teach, or we may not get them until a further point in life, right? Like you may get a dose of it in ALS, and then it's gone. And then I might see it again in, you know, the NCO Academy or, or at SOS, right? And so it's very um, far and few in between touch points. But you give them deliberate time to sit down with these groups and discuss these things. And that's just half the day, right? You break, you have some lunch, and then you come back afterwards, and maybe you do some team-building event. Maybe you just give that airman the rest of the day to go knock out things that they normally don't have time to do, right? Hey, man, go make that medical appointment. Go get that uh, that insurance taken care of, whatever that is. Or you know what? If you got nothing going on and you're good, why don't you just recuperate? Go down to the beach, rest, relax, recharge, I, right? This is unheard of. I know. I, 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 I'm floored about that, how we're implementing this across the group and all the squadrons are jumping in on it and each have their Airmen for Life initiative and they're each, uh, each have their Airmen for Life uh, program going because it's important. I'll tell you, 23 years ago, this would have been absolutely unheard of. And a lot of people, I've, I've you know, I get on, on our uh, my social media blogs and, uh, oh, we're getting softer. No, we're just taking care of people. And that's what, like, we've been hearing it for years and years, and now we're starting to implement some of these things. And, again, 23 years ago, it was, hey, how about you just go over there and be quiet? And I, I love the fact that we're forward-thinking. Some of the stuff that you're doing, as a matter of fact, can you talk about – the lessons that you're teaching uh, right now to some of our senior NCOs and some of our uh, officers? Again, I'll be the first to admit, I don't know that I've had an original idea myself Me since neither. I was like a young airman, right? <laughs> but I definitely, um, 
I think it's worth not reinventing the wheel, right? And, and taking those things that others have been creative with, you know, at their license and saying, hey, Tesseract's been working on something called Foundations. It's uh, It deals with psychological safety. And what we've done is kind of just taught, you know, some of our senior NCOs and some of our officer core through academics what it means to be psychologically safe, what it means to be able to challenge the status quo without fear of reprisal, without fear of, oh, man, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to look stupid, right? Like, having that ability within a group, right, and from from a group commander level down, you know, the fact that your leadership could have that if you, you know, can increase that psychological safety, you're talking about opening up creative windows and innovative windows that are, are you know, unheard of, really. They're all in people's minds. We have the most innovative uh, airmen, you know, in the world. Uh, they are the most brilliant people, but you have to listen to them, and they have to feel safe trusting that, they can bring an idea to you, and you're not going to shut them down. So you re-enlisted, mm. then you commissioned, and you're still here. Yeah. You're still, you still keep coming back. Why? You know, I mean, the short answer is it's fun. I really enjoy what I do. I wanted to be in a position where I could make the decisions that would make a difference in somebody's life instead of just being the person who was told, you go work 12s now. You know, I want to be that person who said, no. You're not going to go work 12s now, right? Like, this can wait. And, you know, and just, I wanted to have that, that I wouldn't say that control and influence, but I wanted to be able to take care of people in that way because I often feel like we never had that voice. It was just fun, right? Like, you get to be an OIC, you get to be responsible for, you know, however many, you know, 200, 300 people. We had to be an OPSO. We got 500 people in the squadron. You get to take people on the road, TDY, and, and just and see them work and take care of them in those environment nets. That's one of the best things, right? So that's why I keep coming back. You know, one day, one day maybe it won't be fun anymore. Who knows? I think it might be fun all the way to the end. I know, ride or die. I ride or die. I love it. So as you keep going through this, you're having fun. But you got there. Uh, I know a lot of, especially early on, I go to professional developments, and it's one of the questions as a chief I get often, like, hey, uh, how, how can I commission? How do I go to OTS? How do I do that? What is your piece of advice for those enlisted professionals, those, those folks living a maintenance life like you were? What is your piece of advice to get them there? Like, what, what, what's some tidbits that you give them? Don't quit. Don't quit. It's not easy. There's a lot of steps involved. You know, you got to get a degree. You got to do the Air Force officer qualifying test. There's a package to put together. There's supervisor's recommendations. There's all these things that that you're building towards, right? Like from the moment you step foot on the base as a young E2, E3, like you are building that credibility. Don't let little setbacks ruin that dream, right? If that's what you really want to do, pursue it hard. When I first actually submitted my package, they moved the board. Then they canceled it. And I was like, oh man, there goes that opportunity. So I put another package in and it got there late and they didn't take it. And so that original package, they actually said, hey, since we canceled this board, we'll roll those packages in. So I'm not going to lie and say there's a little bit of luck here, but luck is just opportunity meeting preparedness. Yeah, man, just just don't quit. Um, if it's something you really want, you go out and get it. And maybe it doesn't work out all the time. I'll be honest, right? Like there's a lot of people who are brilliant uh, in our enlisted corps who wanted to commission, and sometimes the dominoes just don't fall, right? It doesn't line up for whatever reason. Low acceptance rates, and it ain't because of that person. It's because... That's just the way the system happened to be set up at the time. So I consider myself extremely fortunate that I was able to be selected in a time where I think there was a pretty decent selection rate. Don't quit. Don't ever quit, no matter what you want in life. 
you go out and get it. That's awesome because there's going to be a lot of enlisted members are going to be listening to this podcast and say, how do I get there? Well, you know, what is it? What are some of the steps? And I think you hit every nail on the head because uh, Colonel Ray and I, we sit in, we do the interviews and I'm just blown away. I would select everyone pretty much that came up. I was like, oh, you should, you're going to be absolutely outstanding. Um, it'd be outstanding anywhere. It, it wouldn't matter with some of these top notch airmen, like you said, that we have here, these 2,400 maintenance professionals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could put them in there and like, hey, I need you. Yeah, I really feel like I could put them in Google. I could put them in Apple. I could put them in any forum, and they would succeed because they know what tough work looks like. They they know what the grind looks like, and I'm proud. I'm proud to serve alongside uh, you and all those other 2,400 maintenance professionals. You've dealt some adversity throughout your career, like you said. It doesn't always line up. What is a time where you, in your career that you've had to deal with some adversity, and how did you overcome that? I was thinking hard on this. I wasn't, uh, wasn't sure how much, uh, you know, how much you want to share sometimes going for some stuff, but, uh, yeah, no, I think I'm comfortable with it. Right. So, um, about nine and a half years back, uh, uh my sons were born and, uh, you know, and we lost one of them shortly after birth. Right. So that's a real, real hardship to, to experience. And, and I don't necessarily share that with, a lot of people just to say that in that moment actually had some really phenomenal leadership. Um, some OICs at the time, um, James Harris, Shannon Lubenthal, um, who have gone on to do great things in their career. But the caring attitude that they kind of put forward in that moment, and, and I know you know it's a tragedy and, and you expect that, but like just the above and beyondness to take care of everyone, that was kind of that that ceiling moment, if you will, for me of like, no, this is this is why I want to cross over, right? Like to take care of the people like that. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they helped me overcome it, right? Like this, it's a challenging thing to get over, and, uh, and and maybe you never really do. But that was a grind of an assignment. It was twelves. It was it was hard, right? And they took the time in the middle of that to take care of me and let me do what I needed to do for for upwards of a couple months, right? Really, just kind of you know, bouncing back and forth between a hospital and NICU and, and, and work and some other places. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's enduring. Like that's, that's one of the the hardest things I've ever had to do, you know, while I'm in the, the rest of it. I don't think the rest of it has been particularly difficult. You know, um, you kind of get used to the shift sometimes. And while, you know, we want to sort of trend ourselves away from, uh, the, the grind of, you know, working 12s, like that's our badge of honor. Like it doesn't need to be like that. You know, there's got to be some some gas in the tank that you can surge up to like that, right? When the real stuff comes down, right? And we need to, and to get up to that. It shouldn't be full throttle every day. Um, but in that environment, for me, it was full throttle every day. And so the fact that they were able to let me kind of pull that back a little bit um, in a time where I didn't think leadership cared at all. I didn't think they were worth much at all, you know I mean? And that's probably how a lot of people feel on a day-to-day basis because the perspective is just not there. Um that really, I think, really changed it around, and, and and ever since then, just that outpouring of the community, it was it was great. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, like literally within a month or two, um, I got notified that I was commissioning, and it was just it was the roller coaster of life, and it's been on an upward trend ever since. Oh, thanks for sharing. That was that's why, as we spoke prior to coming out, uh, prior to hitting the record button, is we have these stories. There's so much uniqueness, and then you have you're in charge of over 400 human beings that may not understand 
or could possibly be going something going through something similar and this is our maintenance life this is our lives and this is how we're this is our chosen profession our badges of honor and it's a tough life but it's a good life what would you tell the younger you i would tell myself you're lucky and and uh maybe think some of your actions through before you go doing them right because you're not invincible We've all got that adversity, adversity, I think, that people have went through in any moment where somebody could have done something in their lives or career. Where it was like, whoo, had, had somebody just known, right? But uh, don't rely on luck, right? <laughs> don't rely on luck. Make your own way in this world. So I'd tell myself, you got lucky. <laughs> so to wrap this thing up, uh, it's the last question I'll ask is, tell me something that's memorable in your maintenance story or tell me a maintenance story so i'll, I'll give you a twofer uh, there's a lot of a lot of enlisted time there uh, and i'm thinking back to uh working at hill air force base and it's uh it's like negative 10 degrees outside it's it's so cold uh that you're actually adhering to the work rest cycles you know what i mean like you're actually following this stuff and so i'm changing a gyro and i just remember having my hands like buried deep into an f-16 and uh after about 15 minutes that was it rightly like, getting tapped out and it took us all night to do what should have been like a two-hour job and we're tapping in and out and I just remember those are the moments where I'm thinking you know we get it done maintainers will get it done no matter what it doesn't matter if it's freezing or sweltering or wind sandstorm you, you name it it doesn't matter that's that go back to your earlier question right that's what makes a maintainer a maintainer is like hey man somebody's got to do it I'll go take pride and I'll go get this done because I'm gonna launch that jet from the officer side I'd say um, it was when I was over in the 67th, you know, Cox rule period and, uh, got to take them on a couple of TDYs. And what's unique is, um, for a long time, at least I say a long time, right? My time here prior to that, it was really tough to get our birds back from TDYs for a number of reasons, right? Either, you know, there wasn't enough tankers to drag them across the pond. They would break at inopportune times. You'd be waiting on parts, et cetera. But these two TDYs, right, the team that we had was so incredible. It was like the first time that they were actually able to bring all the Jets back when they wanted to, right? And so that that has, you know, second and third order effects. Now I don't have people who are staying behind longer, away from families. And so that coming together like that, that achievement, as normal, you know, as small as it may sound, like, hey, we brought all the Jets back on time. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I know, right? But in this life, things don't always work out, right? So everything they did to make that work was was incredible. And I think they've continued, you know, these streaks now, right? I don't think they've left them behind for a while, but uh, I think that was memorable to me, right? Just taking them on the road, being there, watching them get after the mission, and then bringing everybody home safe and sound. It's no better feeling. Teammates, again, thank you for listening. If you or anybody you know wants to be a part of the show, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Los AF Jefe, be happy to have you on the show. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored by the Department of Defense or the United States Air Force. Though we may use name, ranks, and duty titles, this podcast is strictly opinion-based by the member and myself. Cleared off headsets, Los AF Jefe, out.